Hey there, my name is John, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. You know, we believe that the Bible has the very best wisdom for life, and so our goal, our heart here on the Bible in Life is to offer what I like to call Blue Jeans Theology. That is trying to take the teaching of the Bible and communicate it in the language of everyday life so that, that wisdom, that real helpful guidance for life can be made clear and plain and understandable so that we can live it out right where we live every single day. So that's the goal. That's the heart. That's what we're all about. And if you're a regular listener of the show, man, I'm so grateful that you're just part of the Bible and Life family. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Glad you're here. Hope you find some of this stuff helpful and valuable to you. And if you've been listening for a while and you value what you've been getting out of the Bible and Life and you've thought about maybe jumping in to support the show, that would be greatly appreciated. You can uh, support the show in a couple different ways, either at Patreon or through primarily through World Family Mission. And uh, so the links to that are down in the notes below. Feel free to check those out if you uh, want to join the team of people who make this ministry possible. All right, we have been in a little series over the last few episodes where we've just been kind of random exploring some things from the Old Testament law and wrestling with how to read that the Old Testament law profitably and what's the value of it. It's not a part of Scripture that many sermons get preached from. It's not a part of Scripture that we particularly enjoy reading. Uh, there's a variety of reasons for that. We've talked about some of those reasons uh, over the last few episodes and even some things that would help us read it more valuably. And I really hope that some of that stuff has been super helpful to you. We've talked about how the law is part of a covenant, specifically God's covenant with the nation of Israel. And when he first gave that law, he gave it in roughly 1500 BC to the Israelites through Moses. And and as a result, it's stated in terms they could understand in the language of their time, their place, their culture, addressing some of their needs. And so even, even Jews living underneath the Old Testament law throughout the Old Testament time period into the New Testament time period up to the time of Jesus, they're, they're wrestling with this stuff. And how does it apply in their world? Because it was given in a specific time and place that addressed issues and problems and needs in a particular culture that even by the time Jesus was born, that Old Testament culture was gone. So we talked about that, how it's part of a covenant, and that covenant was with the nation of Israel. And we talked about how even though that's not our covenant, the Old Testament law is still part of God's word for us, and it can still train us in God's ways and values and priorities and ambitions and agendas and ethics and all those things. And so we we need to process it and think some of that through. We even talked about some of the things related to clean and unclean and the food laws and what the point of some of that stuff was. And so we've wrestled with some of that. And we've tried to, we've tried to, in some ways, set the law in its original context so that we could see its value, right? And we could see why someone like the author of Psalm 1 could just delight in the law of the Lord, or someone like the author of Psalm 119 could write this massive tribute in honor of the law, that there is incredible value here and great wisdom here. And it its wisdom and its understanding was so distinct from and different from the cultures around Israel in that time and place and how if Israel would keep this law, it would display the wisdom and understanding of God to the nations around them. We've talked about some of that sort of stuff. 
And yet, um, as you read the Bible all the way through and you read it in its whole context, the law's day is done. The, according to the New Testament, the law has achieved its purpose. It is no longer God's covenant with his people today. Now the covenant is found in Christ, not in Torah, not in the law. And so its day is done. And why is that? And so on this episode, what I really want to explore is what, what, what was the problem with the law? What is the problem with the law? But before we jump into that question, I just want to say this. If there's questions you have about the Old Testament law that we haven't addressed, I don't want to just leave those hanging. So if you've got some questions, shoot me an email, uh, message me through Instagram, and I will have an episode where I answer some of those questions. But today on this episode, let's explore this question of really where did the law go wrong? What's its problem? Why why is the law passe? And as we look back at the Old Testament law through the the lens of the New Testament, through the the whole story of Scripture, the whole theological framework of Scripture, what can we learn about why the law is now passe? The question really is, what is the problem with the law? And to answer that, let's begin by just looking first off at uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 um, really is in a, a larger section where Paul is asking and answering questions about the Old Testament law. And he's, in some regards, dealing with really this question of the problem of the law. And as he asks a series of questions that, that his kind of argument culminates at this point in Romans chapter 8. So listen to what he says here just in the first couple of verses of Romans 8 in this culminating sequence of a discussion about the Old Testament law. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, he's playing off of just the whole idea of the law because he's been talking about that now for a chapter and a half. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so notice that contrast. There's the law of the spirit of life. There's the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is not exactly the Old Testament law, but it is really playing off of that. He, he means how the Old Testament law brought sin and death. Just read chapter 7. More on that here in a second. So the law of the spirit of life in Christ has already set you free from the law of sin and death. And then he specifies really where the law came up short. Verse 3, 4, what the law, i.e. the Old Testament law, what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. And he did that by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh with the result that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in those who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There in the middle of verse three, did you hear it for what the law couldn't do? And then he tells us weak as it was through the flesh. That's Romans 8, 3. The law had a weakness, but that weakness wasn't so much a problem with the law per se. It was with the raw material the law was working with, weak as it was through the flesh. And the flesh in this context refers to 
the fallen nature of humanity, the fallenness of mankind, and the law's weakness is really part and parcel of mankind's weakness. The law couldn't really uh, solve and deal with our fallen nature, our fallenness, the way it needed to be dealt with. And that, that ultimately is where the law came up short. Paul has expounded that in detail in the last few chapters of Romans. In fact, beginning in the middle of Romans chapter 6, Paul says something that, that sounds very ironic, but it's very accurate to what he believes. And you understand that as you watch the argument unfold from the middle of chapter 6 all the way up to here in chapter 8. Right in the middle of Romans chapter 6, Paul makes this ironic statement in verse 14. He says, For sin shall not be master over you, because you're not under the law, but under grace. He's using law and grace, playing off at the end of Romans 5, he's using law and grace as two different realms, two different uh, you know, powers that you can be under. One, you can be under the law. One, you can be under grace. The law captivates everything that's the old covenant. Grace cap captures that phrase, encapsulates everything about Jesus and what God has achieved in and through Jesus and ultimately the Spirit as well. And so, which one are you under? Well, if you're in Christ, you're under grace. Thus, you're not under the old covenant and the law that was a part of that covenant. And that's why sin shall not be master over you. And that's ironic in some regards. Sin's not going to be your master because you're not under the law. What do you mean, Paul? Well, for the next chapter and a half, Paul explains what he means by that. And what he shows us, particularly in Romans chapter 7, is how the law was co-opted by our flesh, by the fallenness of mankind. And he, he does that initially by telling us how we've been set free from the law through the death of Jesus. But in that context, here's what he says. He says in Romans chapter 7, verse 5, when we were in the flesh, meaning when we were unregenerate, when we were nothing more than a fallen fleshly human being, we didn't have the spirit, we, we weren't regenerate. So when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our bodies to bear fruit for death. Notice that, that we were in the flesh, we had sinful passions, but those sinful passions in some way were stirred up by the law. And in this sense, the law became a kind of an unconscious participant or an unconscious trigger for sin and death. Then he goes on to say, but we've been released from the law because we, through the, the death of Jesus, so that now we serve in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Uh, so then that obviously forces Paul to ask a follow-up question. And the follow-up question is this. Well, verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Paul's answer? No way. May it never be. On the contrary, I wouldn't have come to know what sin was, except through the law, for example. I wouldn't have known what covening was if the law hadn't said, you shall not covet. Commandment number 10 out of the Ten Commandments. But, verse 8, sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting every of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. So there is some sense in which Paul is saying that um, our fallenness, our fleshliness, and the sin that was bound up with that fallenness took advantage of the law and led us into more sinning. And so the law is an unwitting 
uh, accomplice to sin and death. It's actually that uh, comment that leads him then to the well-known, the things I want to do, I don't do, the things I don't want to do, I do. And he's really wrestling with uh, this question of the law's place in sin and death. In fact, the question in verse 13 is, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? No, it's really sin, and it's sin's fault. Um, But, he says, it actually shows how sinful and powerful sin is, that sin could actually use that which is good, meaning the Old Testament law, and lead use that good thing and lead me in to more sinning. And so sin took advantage of the law and somehow used it for its purposes. Well, that's his point then in chapter 8 when Paul says uh, that the law was weak as it was through the flesh. Um, the law's problem was it, it couldn't deal with humanness. And what it seems like he means, particularly at the end of Romans chapter 7, is that sin is an inside job. Sin gets into the parts of our body, he says, but the law is an outside job. We know it, we can love it, right? But it doesn't change our fallenness. And so for that, we need a greater solution. And so the law really isn't in and of itself bad. The law tells what's right. It gives God's wisdom. It just couldn't fix human beings because we were so fallen and so broken. So that's the first answer to the question, what's wrong with the law? What's the problem with the law? And it is the law was weak in that it couldn't regenerate fallen human beings and it couldn't give them the kind of ability they needed to do what's right. The irony about that is the Old Testament law even hints at this, right? Deuteronomy, where you get the whole idea of the circumcision of the heart in places like Deuteronomy 4 or Deuteronomy 30, you get this allusion to the fact that there's going to come a day when God's going to do something greater. He's actually going to circumcise people's hearts so that they'll actually keep his commands and do what's right. That humans are so fallen They need some sort of heart surgery in order to do God's will. And the law tells us that. Well, in Paul's theology, as he reads the whole story of Scripture and he understands Jesus as Messiah, what Paul believes is that heart surgery has now happened in and through Christ and by the Spirit. And thus, humans now have a new ability to do what God wants us to do. In fact, when you read the book of Galatians, he wrestles with the same topic in the book of Galatians, and he culminates in Galatians chapter 5 by saying, look, we're not under the law, but that doesn't mean it's a moral free-for-all where you could do whatever you want. No, you still have to be ruled by God in order to, to be part of the kingdom of God. You can't just live for the flesh, but by the Spirit, now you can bear good fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, and so on, And that good fruit is the kind of thing that the law always dreamed of, but the law could not produce. Uh, It could not make people from the inside out who were consistently like that, because it just didn't have that power. So what's the problem with the law? Well, the first bit of that is that the law was weak. It was weak, and it couldn't solve our sin problem because of that weakness. Now, the other part of the answer to that question then is, knowing that, And because the law itself hinted at that, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 that the law 
was a key part of God's plan to redeem the world, but it was supposed to be a a temporary part of that. It wasn't primary and it wasn't permanent. That's Paul's whole argument, really, particularly the latter half of Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians 3, Paul is uh, helping us see who the children of Abraham are, but in doing so, he puts the law in its proper place. And what he says there in Galatians 3 is, is that the promise to Abraham was primary. It came first. And God um, declared Abraham righteous by virtue of a promise. And it was through that promise that God was going to fulfill his, uh, his plan to redeem the world. And he was going to do that through the ultimate seed of Abraham, namely Jesus, the Messiah himself. So we get all of that. What about the law in that context? Well, um, Paul argues in verses 10 through 14 that the law itself said, you either do it or you suffer the curses of the covenant that are that are part of it, right? Well, what happened? Read the Old Testament. Israel didn't keep it, thus they're under the curse. How did that get dealt with? Jesus took the curse upon himself so that now that curse has been dealt with and exhausted. Um, so then what do we do with the law? Well, the second half of Rome, or Galatians chapter 3 explains that. Why the law then? Well, what he says is, is that the law came in later until the seed should come, until Messiah should come. For, he says, if a law had been given that was able to impart life, then indeed righteousness would have been based on the law. But the law couldn't impart life. Why? Because we've already seen in Romans 8, because of the weakness of our fallen flesh. So the law was good. We were so bad the law couldn't actually impart life. And so even within itself, it hinted that there was going to need to be a greater, more final solution. And so the law had a job to do that was kind of tacked onto the promise until the seed should come, i.e. Messiah should come. And then once Messiah came, the law's job was done. Um, and so he says this, he says, but before the faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being confined for the faith that was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our pedagogue, our tutor and schoolmaster and super nanny, really is the idea of pedagogue, to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that the faith has come, we're no longer under the law. We're no longer under the, the, the guardian, the tutor, the super nanny. Uh, why? Because the seed has come. Messiah has come. And so the law's day is done. Paul's point in Galatians 3 is that that the promise was primary, not the law, and the promise was permanent, and the law was not. The law, even though it was a key part of God's plan to redeem mankind, the law wasn't primary or permanent. It was never intended to be because God knew there would need to be a greater, more final, more powerful solution for human fallenness. And that greater, more final solution is found in Christ and through the Spirit. And both Romans 8 and Galatians, when you get done with chapter 3 and you move into chapter 4, particularly at the end of chapter 4 and on to chapter 5, you realize the Spirit now is the modus operandi for the people of God. The Spirit, walking with the Spirit, is the way now we do the things that the law was trying to get God's people to do, but couldn't get them to do. The Spirit fills us with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Um, against such things, there is no law.
The law is never going to condemn a person for being loving, joyful, patient, kind, gentle, loyal, faithful, and all these things. The law is never going to condemn anyone for that. And so when we in Christ walk by the Spirit, we become the kind of people that the law always dreamed of but was not capable of forming. And so, as Paul says in Romans, the law is holy and righteous and good. And we've tried to look at that over the last handful of weeks on this podcast. We've tried to explore, like if we just put, you know, 1500 BC sandals on and look at the law, it was holy and it was righteous and it was good. And it told us God's values and it told us some of the things that a community, at least a community living in the ancient Near East, um, that was filled with God and was trying to follow God. This is what it would look like. This is some of the things it would do and how it would treat people right and what is some of its values and ethics and what society would be like. The law did all of that, and it did that well. It just could not make people of the kind that God intended or that the law desired. And so the law is holy and righteous and good. It just wasn't the final and ultimate way God's holy and righteous and good commands would be formed and filled in people. Or, as Dallas Willard was fond of saying, uh, he liked to say, the law forever sets the course of righteousness, but it's not the source of righteousness. The law tells so many good and wise and right things about the way God wants people to live together and act together and do, but it couldn't be the source. It couldn't make people that could actually do it. For that, we needed Christ and the Spirit. And so they, in the culmination of God's story, they are the culmination of God's covenant with Israel. That Christ and the Spirit is everything the law was looking forward to and aiming to. And so Jesus, he fulfills the law. And thus Paul says in Romans chapter 10 that Christ is the telos. He is the goal and the end point. He's the culmination of the law for everyone who believes. And so in Christ, the law reached its grand finale, its great climax, its culmination point in Jesus. And now in and through Jesus, by submitting to him and listening to him and walking with his spirit, we now become the kind of people who are living out the righteousness that the law desired, but it could never form. All right, once again, if you've got some questions about the law, things that you've wondered about or are curious about, and you would love to hear some of my thoughts on that, man, please feel free to email me or message me in some way. Let me know, and uh, I will try to wrestle with some of those questions if I get any. I don't know if I will. If I get any, I will try to wrestle with them on next week's episode. If not, we'll jump into a new, new series beginning next week. Thanks for being here on this episode. Thanks for being a part of the Bible and Life family. Thanks again to those of you who make this ministry possible by your generous support. I hope you guys have a wonderful week in Christ. I look forward to talking to you again next week.